we are coming to the close of the program year. We are coming to the close also of, of this year of the narrative lectionary. I um, mentioned it earlier in the year that, that the narrative lectionary is, this, is kind of the, the system of texts that we have been going through that has led us since uh, the Old Testament back in the fall, uh, right after Labor Day, I believe, um, all the way until now, we're picking up with the early church in Acts and in Romans. Um, and so we're coming to the end of that. And, and so it's, the end of a series is always a funny time. There's, there's more teaching always to be, to be done, but there's also um, some summing up that needs to happen. Because if, if we never kind of sum it up, and we, we miss opportunities to implement the teaching in our life. We've talked a lot over the past months about radical dependence, what it means to be radically dependent on God. We saw that through the Gospel of Matthew. We saw Jesus relying on the Father consistently. We saw Jesus relying on the Father for all of his needs and even in the darkest moments of his life, being able to to go to the Father and find strength there radical dependence. And so it would be a fair question to say, how over the past nine-ish months has your life become more Christ-like? How over, over the, the series of teaching have you found radical dependence in your life? And what has that meant for your identity, for your values, for your attitudes, for your behaviors? Is there any measurable growth? You know, as I have been around hospitals uh, in, as a kind of an occupational hazard, let's say, one of the things that I know that doctors look for in patients who are recovering, and nurses out there, you can feel free to correct me, but you're looking for progress. You might not be looking for the end result, but you're looking for progress. Because progress means that there is still hope. Progress means that, that things are still going on to repair the body, to, to bring more life where there was damage and hurt and brokenness. And I think that's a great lesson that we can take as believers in Jesus into our life of discipleship, into our life of faith. That we need to be making progress. We will never arrive where we're going to be on this side of glory. We just won't. We live in the midst of a fallen world. We are still at war within ourselves. Even if we are in Christ, we are still at war with the, the, the ways of the flesh that Paul would, as Paul would put it, we are still trying to work out our faith. Or as Paul might say, to live up to what we have already attained. And we're a work in progress. But as long as there is progress, that's a good thing. If there isn't progress, ooh, we need to talk about that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Us, on the other hand, need to be a little bit different. And so as we come to this final text for this series of the narrative lectionary. Next week we're going to get into the, some of the mission and vision of the church. But as we come to the conclusion of, of this large series, ask yourself, 
How am I different? How has Jesus Christ made a difference in my life over the past nine months? How has Jesus Christ made a difference in my life over this past week? How is Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming my life right now? Because as we get into Acts and Romans today, we are going to see that that radical dependence leads to radical transformation. And that's what we're going to talk about. So go ahead and get your Bible open to uh, Acts chapter 2. Put a finger in that and then also find Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 39. It's a big section, and as you're going to see, it's a big section not just in, in verse numbers, but in terms of concepts as well. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 39. Let's dig into God's Word. When the day of Pentecost came, I'm in Acts, they were all together in one place. This is uh, Jesus' disciples and uh, the other uh, disciples in the area of Jerusalem. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then over to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. 
and those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from this love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor, any, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. All glory is yours, God, because you are our Redeemer. We are reminded of that in these words. We hear the passion, we hear the, the, the hope that is behind Paul's words. Help us to, to understand even a bit here. As we celebrate Pentecost, we are deeply aware in a passage like this of our need of your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, to, to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts to what you have for us. Because even if we don't understand the specifics, we do understand that your desire for us is great and powerful. And so open your word to us. Show us what you have for us. And help us to live into the reality of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, strengthen my words during this time. For mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, did you catch everything in there? <laughs> if you did, you're preaching. Because <laughs> I ain't there yet. And we need to remember that. And so, uh, as we reflect on this passage, I want to, to highlight these two things, and then we'll flesh them out. That that radical dependence on God leads to radical transformation. I said that already. Two main points that I want to highlight from this section of Paul. Out of all these verses, which, mind you, should probably never, ever be preached all at once, I want to highlight two important points to conclude this series. First is radical reframing of suffering. We talked about that a few weeks ago but radical reframing of suffering and radical peace that comes through our faith. Now, 
radical reframing. Paul here has a lot to say about a whole lot, but Paul has a lot to say here about the present world and the world that is to come. Paul is taking more than a global view. He's taking an eternal view on life. The reality is, as we go about our days, we can become very, very focused on those things that are right before us. Yesterday, Katie and I were, uh, uh, actually, a couple days ago, I'll start, we had a a baseball kind of all-star day that we were going to, and part of that was uh, we had to bring some of the concessions, and we were supposed to be helping, and this thing was going to last forever. And I tell you what, yesterday morning when we got up, it's like, all right, what do we got to do? We got to get this together and this together, this together, don't forget this. Uh, Don't forget the sunscreen, don't forget the bat, don't forget... The, the ball gloves, Cameron might want to play, so let's get the, the, that ball glove. And, and we get focused on that. We get focused on our lives. Perhaps your calendar is kind of like mine where I'm looking at it going, what do I have next? Where am I going next? Hey Siri, remind me to do this. And we become very focused and our world closes in. And what Paul wants to say here is that when we get dialed in like that, we can lose perspective of the greater realities of this world. Particularly when it comes to suffering. If you have had a, a persistent medical condition, if you've had a, 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 even as simple as a splinter that you just can't get out, you kind of focus on that, don't you? There's a, a pain in your leg. I've had chronic back problems I've, the, to the point where I, at times I have taken every step for years with pain. And you focus on that. You're like, when is this going to end? When, when will this change? And our worlds narrow into that. And what Paul is saying is those things are important, but we need to not lose sight of what else is going on there. You know, Paul highlights at the end of of verse 17 that we are heirs of God. That means we are set to inherit what God has promised to Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, Paul says, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. A couple weeks ago, we, fact, uh, we talked about the fact that, that we are connected with Christ. We are, we are in union with Christ. And so we share in his suffering. We share in his pain on the cross. But then as a result, we also share in his resurrection as well. We share in new life. And that is our inheritance, new life. I mean, how torturous would it be if we realized that our inherit- inheritance was eternal life but in these bodies? Anyone else feel the pain of aging? Just imagine being 60 for all eternity. That, that's not hope. That's, that's, we may think that we were not going to the right place then. 
But the reality is that, that the promise of redemption, the inheritance that we have in Christ, is the resurrected body. You know, if you think back to Jesus' resurrection, think back to Easter Sunday, he still has the wounds, but they are not impacting him. That is not what defines him. But his body is somehow resurrected, still physical, still him, and yet unrecognizable at the same time. So often we are so bound by this world and we are so bound by the physicality of this world that we can't see beyond it to a different hope. The hope that all of our suffering will one day be redeemed in the way it was for Jesus Christ. That the tomb will not, the grave will not have the final word in what we have. And we need that hope because suffering is senseless in this life without it. It, It's a a poor picture of life if we think, wow, you're born, you suffer for a long time, you pay a lot of taxes, and then you die. It seems meaningless, and yet Paul says that all of our suffering, all the difficulties of this world, gain meaning in the light of eternity. When he goes from verse 17 to verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. What Paul says, because remember, Paul was, as he went through his ministry, Paul was stoned, Paul was flogged. He had problems getting food at times. As he puts, um, at one point he says, I know what it means to have plenty. I know what it means to be in want. He was in want. He was jailed. And he said, all these things, I think they're going to be nothing. Those things that dominate our thought patterns, our, our worries about money, our worries about our relationship with our family, our worries about about how our kids or grandkids are going to grow up, our worries about our autonomy uh, going into later stages of life, our worries about whatever it is. He says, I think that, th- that these worries, these sufferings, these things are not worth comparing to the glory that is actually in store. Have you ever gone to the gym enough to, to know when you're not going to the gym? If, if, if you follow me there. You know what I mean. I hate the gym. I really do. But here's the thing. I've gone long enough to know that if I stop going, I'm going to feel it. That the, the pain of that moment, that the, 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 the I won't go, say agony, but sometimes, yeah, let's, let's be real, sometimes that feels like agony. But the pain that you endure there is nothing compared to the long effects and, and, the healthy, and the health that you achieve as a result of it. And that's just a human limited example. And what Paul is saying is that, that these tra- uh, travails, these problems, these issues in life are nothing compared to that glory. Are nothing compared to the redemption of the world. And he wants us to bear that in mind as we go about and as we face the difficulty of this world. 
Sometimes that is, that can seem like major difficulty. Sometimes we, we see difficulty in our life. Like I said, health problems, family and marital problems. But what Paul says here is that they will all find new meaning. Is that something that we believe, or are we so captivated by the the suffering and the pain and the ways of this world that when we leave the sanctuary, when we leave Sunday, that we are so consumed by the reality of this world that we forget that there is something greater? There's, There's something that we can work towards. There is something that we can push through the difficulty of this world because the vision of the resurrected Jesus is so compelling, so powerful, so all-consuming in our life that we can say, it's okay. It's okay because there is something better on the other side. There is a reward that is beyond comprehension. That is radical reframing of our suffering. That is radical reframing of this world. Do we do that? Or are we captivated by this world? Radical reframing of suffering. But as well, we can also find then, as a result, radical peace. A lot of talk these days about anxiety and about depression And for good reason, I would think. We live in a difficult world. We live in a, in a world that is fraught now with war in ways that we haven't seen it in decades. We wonder if we've seen the beginning of World War III. We, we, we've lost a kind of a, a core communal um, core to our, what we thought was our society. And we're wondering how to interact. We're wondering how to get through things. There are worries about school and about athletics and there are worries about uh, economic problems. Not just national, but, but local. What does this mean for my family and my life? Why can't we seem to get where we need to be? And what Paul says here is, is that he points out that when it comes to life, when it comes to reframing our understanding whole section about neither this nor that. What Paul is saying there is this. When it comes down to it, who has the right to judge us? Only God. It's it's not our neighbors looking at our lawn when we're concerned that, oh, geez, I haven't cleaned up, I haven't raked, I haven't done this. It is not the other parents' around the soccer field, or around the baseball field. It's, it's not the other people in our community organizations or whatnot. It is only God squarely who has the right and the authority to judge us. Only God has the moral power to do that. And what Paul highlights here is this. If we are worried about God the Almighty judging us, remember this that he who is our judge sent his only son, his only son, to bring us back into relationship with us. So if God is for us, then who's against us? 
What does that mean? That means that we no longer have to worry. That means that we no longer have to be anxious. That means that, that any of the internal or the external voices that we have that tells us we are not sufficient can be muted, can be pushed out, because the sending of Jesus Christ says that we are sufficient. We are good enough to merit his love. That's a powerful thought right now. That's a powerful reality, and it has been true since the beginning of the creation all the way to the present time and through to the end of eternity. God has sent his son so that we are able to be in relationship with us. And so nothing, neither angels nor demons nor the, the present nor the, the future nor things in the past nor, nor death nor life even will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord because he has overcome all of those things. Amen? So we are able to have radical peace. Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong body and soul to my Savior, who at the cost of his own life has put me into a right relationship with God. That is the peace that we can experience now in this life and that will be the reality of all eternity with Christ. So let me ask, how has your life changed over these past months, hearing the word of Jesus Christ, hearing the promises of the gospel? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is for you and not against you? Do you believe that you are sufficient in Christ? And so don't need to claw after any accolade, but know that you have been made right through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe that God has done this for you? If so, it calls us to a radically new life, one that is characterized by peace and one that is not defined by suffering but one that reframes suffering and allows us to live in light of eternity. This is the radical dependence that leads to radical transformation, to communities, communities of people who can give up their fears and their anxieties and build one another up, carry one another's burdens, show the love of Christ, give generously, exhibit the fruit of of the Spirit and love one another and God and a community deeply. This is the call for this Sunday. This is the word of God to us for this day. Let's pray that he will help us to live it out. God, you are so much more than we can fathom. You are so much more than 
than we can understand. We ask that you would work within our lives to bring about the change that honors you, that we would be conformed to the likeness of your Son, that we would abandon all of our pursuits for the reckless abandon that you showed for us. Thank you for your love and grace in Jesus Christ. Help us to live as that is our reality. Until you come, where we find our rest in you. This we pray in your name, O Jesus. Amen.